Hello, this is Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Today I'm speaking to Matt Knapp. Matt Knapp is here to help bridge the divide between the UFO community and the Bigfoot community, which I like to refer to as the paranormal community. Matt has personal experiences with the paranormal and has been researching it for decades and once lived in a haunted house. He interviews witnesses of Bigfoot on his podcast, Bigfoot Crossroads, and occasionally enlightens the Calling All Beings family on YouTube. While Matt explores the possibilities on his show, he also provides an important feature on his website, a place to report Bigfoot and cryptid experiences. Joining me also today is a special co-host, Kelly Chase. Kelly is the host of the UFO Rabbit Hole podcast, a presenter for an inquiry into anomalous experiences and the phenomenon, and author of the UFO Rabbit Hole. And she's just getting started. (laughs) So welcome, both of you. Thanks. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm absolutely thrilled to talk to both of you. This is going to be great. Right. So I'm Matt. I mean, we need to know everything. I don't know if we're going to fit everything in an hour, but please educate us about Bigfoot. And we're going to need that because this is the data dojo. But before we do that, tell us about yourself, please. Okay. Well, my name's Matt. Uh, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I still live in the same house I grew up in uh, through fate and destiny. It somehow ended up in my hands. Uh, It's the same haunted house that you were talking about. Um, The activity has, uh, I would say, decreased uh, with age compared to whenever I was younger. Um, Back in around... Oh, 1998 or so, uh, I had my first home computer and I did an internet search one night for Bigfoot, uh, because I've always been interested in anything unexplained and my, uh, research into the paranormal ended up, uh, crossing paths with Bigfoot and UFOs and everything else, because at the time they used to lump all those things into the same books. And, uh, so yeah, I just, did a search for Bigfoot, just seeing if there was anything out there. And uh, lo and behold, there was uh, ongoing research. People were going out in the woods looking for this thing. And there were even, uh, you know, reports from my own home state of Oklahoma. And it just blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. And that kind of led me down to the path uh, to where I am today. So, Kelly, real quick, can you please explain why you like Bigfoot? You know, it's hard, it's hard to sum up. I think I really like Bigfoot. Well, part of it is that when I started down my own UFO rabbit hole, I wasn't, there were all sorts of things that I was like, okay, I'm going to look into this UFO thing, but there were all these like lines that I drew of things that I was not going to get super into. And weirdly, all of those things are things that I've gotten super into, like Bigfoot and Atlantis and like all these things that were just off the table for me. Um, Mostly just because it's amazing to dive in and to find that, as I did with UFOs, that there is a there there. And I think that there's nothing more exciting than the idea that there could be um, an intelligent species that we're sharing this planet with. And that, I mean, that would bring so much incredible new information and context to us and to our history and our understanding of who we are that 
you know, I'm just enchanted by the idea and I, I want Bigfoot to be real. Somebody asked me the other day if what I thought about Bigfoot. I was like, I'm pro Bigfoot. That's how I, <laughs> that's how I categorize it. I am in favor of Bigfoot. So I've gotten into this place with people because everyone sees me as a, a UFO person where I just throw Bigfoot in quietly. <laughs> like I just go, oh yeah. And Bigfoot's real. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so Matt, are you feeling pretty strongly at this point that Bigfoot is real? I mean, I saw one, so that kind of skewed the whole research thing <laughs> out the gate. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm very confident that they exist. Uh, unfortunately, uh, having an encounter and seeing one firsthand, it also causes a lot of problems. It causes a lot of questions and uh, an obsession. That's probably why I'm still involved today you know 20 plus years later uh because i know it exists i know what i saw i know what other people have seen um i've had experiences with groups of people together at one time where other people saw things uh, including my best friend who was completely skeptical and was actually in the field with me because he was concerned because i was going out with these strangers from other states to look for an imaginary creature. He thought I had lost it. Um, but I can't explain or answer any of the questions of, okay, well, what are they? You know, why are those so difficult to get proof of their existence? Uh, why won't the government or the scientific community get behind the search for these things with all the eyewitnesses and everything? Uh, why do you have some people that report paranormal abilities while you have other people reporting just strictly flesh and blood abilities. Uh, one of the things I was talking to someone about today, the idea of them being some sort of interdimensional being yet they're seen digging in dumpsters for food. Well, why would an interdimensional being that can hop through portals need to dumpster dive? It doesn't make any sense. We have Twinkies. Yeah, that, that <laughs> could very, very well point. be it. Uh, <laughs> I, don't know. I think that's for part fuel. of it. I don't know. Well, and I think that's part of what I love about Bigfoot and about the Bigfoot community and why I just feel a kinship, because I think that there's that um, it, when you have experienced something anomalous or something paranormal, like I'm a UFO experiencer, suddenly it doesn't matter how baffled you are, or how little sense it makes or, you know, all the boundaries that stand in your way of understanding this thing. Once you've seen one, you can't just let it go. And I think, you know, when you talk, I recognize that same that same thing moving in you and and so it makes you I, I guess I just understand it so deeply even though I haven't necessarily had I mean I haven't had any sort of a Bigfoot encounter myself and it intrigues me too because I don't think that those things that hook you like that that's not just something somebody made up or like a flight of fancy that's I know what it's like to have something hook you like that and so when I hear people in the Bigfoot community speak that way it changes how I think about Bigfoot in general. Yeah, I think they call it Bigfoot fever. Isn't that the terminology for it? Yeah, yeah. You got you got the fever, you got the bug, the booger bug. Right. Well, you know, I, I feel the thing that's uncanny about this is that it, it, there are so many parallels between the two. Like, I don't like to divide these communities. I think they're all one community. But, like, the two, the UFO and the Bigfoot community, there's, 
you know, like the same thing that you were saying that sometimes the experience is paranormal and sometimes it's more nuts and bolts. Sometimes something really out there is happening and sometimes it's pretty blatant. Um, you know, so I feel like even that need to know um, obsession, it like is pervasive for a lot of us. And I think what it ultimately comes down to is wanting to satisfy the answers and um, wanting to get to the end of the mystery. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I recently was talking on one of my own episodes with a guest about I'm not the type of person that can just walk away from an unfinished puzzle. I have to finish the puzzle. And I think a lot of people in all of these communities are the same type people. Uh, it's that mystery that keeps us going, getting those answers, uh, trying to figure out, you know, the riddle. Yeah. When I was younger, I used to say the thing I hated the most was not knowing something. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that it's true that we really all of us are doing this thinking we're going to find out, right? We're going to figure it out. It's something's going to happen where the answer is just going to be provided at some point. And you know what makes me a little sad? What would we do then? Once we like there'd be a whole nother can of worms, of course. But if we just have the answers, what would we do? Oh, yeah. It, it's actually kind of terrifying to think about the day you know uh there's an ongoing debate in the bigfoot world of course uh whether it's possible or not is an entirely different argument but you have the kill versus no kill group you know it's going to take a body on a slab to prove it to science to prove it to the world once and for all that these things exist but if for some strange reason that were to actually happen uh let's say a truck driver slams into one there it is. There's no denying it. It's real. Uh, that's when science will take over. That's when the government will step in. And all these people who have dedicated their lives to going out and spending thousands and thousands of dollars out of pocket, you know, and countless hours out in the woods, uh, sometimes wrecking their own personal relationships with friends and family over this, will be kicked to the curb. They don't care what we've done. They don't, you know, they, there's no uh chain of custody and the evidence you know the documentation wasn't done correctly we're not uh accredited scientists we're just a bunch of people just amateurs and they're not going to be interested in that they're going to want to do their own work and we're just going to have to wait and sit on the sidelines and watch and that's going to be horrible for a lot of people yeah no i think that makes a lot of sense i think um it's so tough, too, because people really are giving their whole lives to this work, both in the Bigfoot community and the UFO community and all the adjacent communities. And, you know, something that I'm really doing a lot of research into right now is sort of like, what is the physiology behind that? That kind of like that Bigfoot fever, that like UFO fever. And what's so funny is that one of the things that you can do to like hack someone's brain to put them in almost like a crazed state, like a a desirous state is to show them a series of events that don't make sense and whose outcome is not clear. Like that's something that's been studied directly. And so like, it's almost like these events are like, they're, they're perfectly designed to hack our brains to make us obsessed with them because it's this weird series of events that don't make sense. And we don't know what the clear outcome come is. And I think some of us like really get hacked by that. 
And I mean, I love it. Those are my people. I found my people in the world in these communities. But it's it's crazy how, you know, it, it really does take you over. I just a little bit of an adrenaline rush when a piece of the puzzle gets put in place, right? Yeah. And that could be the, one of the motivations. Like, I I know that when I made my website, the UFO Connector, like, I literally was thinking of puzzle pieces. And there's actually, a, if you look at it, there's a puzzle piece going into a UFO. Because it's all about, like, putting everything together, connecting everything, and understanding. And Bigfoot, in my opinion, is a part of that picture, too. So... Before we go too much into the social implications and stuff like that, I have a question from Scott Gearin that kind of connects to what we were just talking about. You said scientists would just take over if we actually found the body. Um, I do believe um, naturalists on documentaries keep saying, well, if something's in the woods, it's actually going to degrade really fast, like really, really fast. So that that's how they explain not finding a body so far. But Scott Guerin made this point um, about how, you know, with UFOs, there are obviously groups, or let's say, or a task force working on UFOs secretly within the government this whole time. Do you suspect that there is some kind of government agency doing the same thing with Bigfoot? Um, yes and no. So... <laughs> actually kind of a funny story i knew a guy uh, who was into the paranormal after he turned 18 he joined the military and ended up becoming pretty high up in the intelligence community for the military while he was uh, in service and i would talk to him from time to time he actually uh, i i can't <laughs> This is a tough one. <laughs> so I can't say too much. And I know that I hate it when people do that, but he's actually married to someone I know. And uh, I've kind of gotten in trouble in the past, uh, a firm talking to <laughs> for saying too much about him because of his current job. But at the time, whenever he was in the military, I was talking to him about Bigfoot stuff, you know? And he actually did send me uh, some declassified documents on, you know, the government's, uh, you know, research on remote viewing and things like that. But I asked him about Bigfoot and he said that he hadn't run across anything. And then about a week later, uh, he messaged me on the Internet and was like, hey, you remember we were talking about Bigfoot? You know, on the government websites, uh, they have to put a mission statement on all the different branches of government. And in that mission statement, they have to word it specifically stating what their job is. It's a legal thing that they have to do, and you have to really kind of read into it and pay close attention to how they word everything. But if you read that, if they were to look into Bigfoot, you might be able to figure out which branch it was. So, you know, the race is on. So <laughs> I'm going to all the different government websites. Uh, probably put me on a few lists. I don't know. And I'm reading through all of them. The next time I talked to him, he said, well, did you look into it? And I said, yeah, I did. And he said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, my understanding would, it would, it would probably be the FBI. And he said, I think if they were looking into it, that's who would handle it. And that's all he would say. Now, <clears throat> was that a confirmation of sorts? I don't know. But I know that if I can see one and all these other people can see one and go out and find them, 
that of course the government knows about them. So in my opinion, uh, they would have already captured one, retrieved a body somehow. They would have studied it. They know they're out there. Why they're hiding it, that's the million-dollar question. Yeah, there have been claims that something like that has happened. That just like, you know, in the UFO community, they talk about bodies were taken to Wright-Patterson. Similar stories have come out that Bigfoot bodies have been taken and, and researched. Have you heard any of those? Um, yeah, there is actually a pretty famous story. Uh, I believe it's Battle Mountain. There was a forest fire. And uh, someone uh, involved uh, reported to somebody, uh, I don't remember exactly who it was off the top of my head, uh, that uh, basically a Bigfoot had been killed in the fire and brought out or was receiving medical attention. And uh, you hear the same thing, Mount St. Helens, whenever it erupted, there were stories of... uh, People seeing cargo nets beneath helicopters with like Bigfoot bodies in the cargo nets being hauled off. Um, so you have lots of little stories like that. You, you get lots of little rumors. I heard about a group, uh, a military group up in Canada, actually, that was tasked with going out and uh, basically executing a, uh, a dangerous Bigfoot that was harassing some small community out in the forest somewhere. Um, but it's all just anecdotal stories. You know, you can't ever find any proof. You can't find anything to verify the information. So it's hard to say for sure. So one of the bigger questions I have for you today was you mentioned the Bigfoot DNA, which some people Mm -hmm. would say is proof, but you said it's controversial. And when, and I say you mentioned it, it was on cab, which I got to listen to, even though I wasn't able to talk. Um, So I was wondering, what is the story with the controversial DNA that people have found? So you have several different cases. In fact, I was involved in a situation where some of my uh, colleagues at the time had retrieved some strange hairs uh, from a location that was known to have Bigfoot activity or sightings were reported from this location. And we sent them off through a third individual um, who wasn't connected with the actual finding of the hairs or anything like that. And he sent the hair samples to two different labs, I think, uh, for identification. One of the labs reportedly lost the sample. They, uh, they never got it is what they said. Uh, the other lab had a bunch of questions. Where'd you get this being the top question? Um, they were fairly certain that it was human hair and they couldn't identify the race or the location on the body that the hair came from which was kind of interesting. Um, I guess whenever they identify human hairs, they break it down into like three groups and then they can determine also where on the body of the hair came from. And so they couldn't identify either one of those, but they could tell that it was human. Um, The hair itself came off of a barbed wire fence out in the middle of nowhere. So I, I, you know, could it have been human hair? Sure. Uh, 
and then you hear different stories of DNA samples coming back as contaminated, contaminated human, contaminated human, over and over and over. But yet, there's no UF, there's no Bigfoot DNA on file to compare the DNA samples to. So it would be a novel type discovery. But if their DNA somehow uh, comes out as, well, the the machine, the program, the software, or whatever doesn't recognize it, all it says is it's most likely human because of the contamination. What if it's not being contaminated? What if right. it's just showing up with human markers? So this is this is one of those parallels that's intriguing because we have not so firm <laughs> on our side, but we have anecdotal stories where people claim that aliens have been tested and that the DNA is some derivative of human. Um, so it makes it makes me wonder, and this goes back a little bit to the sociological implications. Is it that we're looking at all of these beings because you know they're obviously somehow humanoid are related to us? Or are they all possibly living here on this planet and therefore the DNA is similar? Are we all maybe experiments, including Bigfoot and Greys and so on? Or, you know, are we just being egotistical and thinking everything has to be human? <laughs> I mean, all of the above. It, it could be any one of those things. I think ego plays a huge part in all of it. I think... Uh... A lot of times science works with blinders and a little bit of their own ego. Uh, somebody, you know, whoever, some layman from Tennessee isn't going to discover a new species of mammal living in the forest. Therefore, you know, this has to be human contamination. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, Dr. Melba Ketchum has a, a veterinarian background, does a lot of, uh, had done a lot of DNA testing on different animals, a lot of work with horses, I believe. And she led a huge uh, project to once and for all answer the DNA question. Whenever it came to Bigfoot, she, she uh, received samples from several different people all over the United States. Uh, she produced all of her results. She uh, found some interesting uh, results came to some interesting conclusions. However, uh, the way that she went about publishing those results, there was some controversy there. Uh, nobody wanted to publish the results, so she ended up actually her group of uh, funders, investors, I believe, backed her to uh, buy her own journal to publish out of which was kind of odd. And uh, a lot of people who know way more about genetics and DNA than I do uh, looked over the conclusions and the results and everything and said, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. This, this isn't correct at all. You know, there's obvious, she's making a lot of assumptions and, you know, found all kinds of problems with it. So then it's, well, they're just trying to keep it covered up. They won't accept it because of what it is. And that's kind of what I was talking about with the controversy around the Bigfoot DNA. I feel like part of the problem there is that so much is being left to, you know, 
I would almost say civilian scientist to try to figure out, right? <laughs> so if we could just get yeah. some serious people taking yeah. a look at this, to these things and getting things the correct way and analyzing them and having the money to do so, um, you know, we would probably be a little further along. Um, so you're, yeah, back to, it could be any of these things. Um, I was reading this book recently. It was um, this book <laughs> that, that Callie knows a little bit about. And she was making an interesting point about gorillas and when people recognize them. Now, the indigenous yeah. people around gorillas obviously saw them much earlier, just like the indigenous people on just about every continent have identified that Bigfoot is real. But Kelly, can you mention a little bit about what you were saying about people discovering new species? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> I might get some of the dates wrong, but um, I mean, it's been relatively recent that we discovered gorillas, like she, like we were saying, like only just a few decades ago, really. And up until that time, you know, people who were native to that area, they knew that gorillas were real. But until, you know, a European anthropologist came there and actually went out into the, you know, mountains and found these gorillas, and said, oh, yep, they're there. Now suddenly it has like a truth value attached to it, that this is a real thing. And like you were saying, Deb, I mean, we've had these stories. It's not a question to First Nations people whether or not Sasquatch is real. They know that Sasquatch is real. Um, but for some reason, there's like an egotism attached to that, that like it has to come through the right people and through the proper channels. And it has to be in the New York Times. Otherwise, it's not Otherwise, you know, we can't attach any real truth value to the existence of these things. And it really strikes me, too, that there's like a there's an egotism in all of it, because, you know, we think about the fact that just even what what's happened in the history of this country, where you had people who were far more technological coming across the ocean and encountering people who were less technological. Um, and because we equate technology with like progress and forward evolution and that that is good, then we say, oh, technology means you're more advanced. If you're not using technology, then that means that you must be closer to an animal than a human. And like the amount of atrocities that have been carried out just against our fellow humans based on that logic is wild. And now you see it where people are like, oh, there's this thing that all of these people out here say that they've seen but everyone's like, oh, but how would it be outsmarting us for this long? And I'm like, why are you assuming that it's not like, like people assume that because they look like animals or more like animals than us, what we think of as animals, that they must be dumb or something. But it's like, what if they were smarter than us? That's the thing I think people are really, because I think that's almost the assumption you have to make with Bigfoot. Matt, I'd love your opinion on that. But like my assumption is if they, if Bigfoot exists, like Bigfoot's got to be at least as smart as us, probably smarter, right? I mean, you know, it's all subjective. Uh, obviously, how smart do you have to be to survive in the environments they're in for this long and remain, you know, hidden from modern society and everything? Uh, if you can take whoever you want, take a very intelligent person and put them in the mountains out in the forest and say, okay, live. You know, you have no fire, you have no tools, nothing. They're not, they're not going to survive, not without the help of, you know, people that know what they're doing. Uh, so in that regard, 
I mean, just out the gate, you're talking about in that environment, they're light years ahead of us in intelligence. Uh, there's so much conjecture over what these things are, but according to, you know, indigenous people, they're another type of people. They are a person. You talk about uh, reports of people hearing speech. Uh, you talk about reports of people hearing kind of uh, rhythmic singing. Uh, then you can go into the, you know, the reported limb formations and everything. If we say, okay, well, all of these, even though it's all theory, but if this creature is responsible for all of these things, then that shows not only a high degree of intelligence, it shows what we would call religion. It shows what we call, you know, sociology. I mean, there's all these different categories. The, the amount of uh, evolution that has to take place within a society for them to form a language. I mean, what are we even dealing with here? Uh, so could they be smarter than us? Absolutely. I have to say that it reminds me of what would have happened with Homo Homo sapiens interacting with Neanderthals. Yeah. This this comes to my mind quite a bit when we talk about Bigfoot, including the fact that some of the descriptions of Bigfoot sounds like a description of Neanderthal, other than the fact that Neanderthals, I don't believe, are as tall. At that time, according to the whatever size fossil record we have and our best estimates and guesses. And that's where it's like, I think people need to do the research and really think about that. We had multiple hominids existing on this planet at the same time. Some of whom would have thought and felt just like us. They might've had a different living environment, but they were homo homo sapiens. And they were living beside other hominids. And I, I really like to push people to do thought experiments. And I want them to think about that. What would that have been like? Because that was reality. And people have a really hard time understanding that that was actual reality. And then coming to the present day and having the same thing happen. And I, it mystifies me. is why people are like, no, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, what would we have evolved into without fire? Remove fire from the equation. That's all you have to do. Remove fire. What happens to modern humans? Where do we end up? Now look at Bigfoot. Bigfoot has no use for fire. Yeah, because we had ancestors that didn't have fire um, before fire became a part of our lives. And they ate in much the same way that we're hearing Bigfoot eats, you know, just raw meat and probably the fat and, you know, the marrow and all that stuff. There's evidence that we ate the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everything about them, from my understanding, they are perfectly designed for surviving in the environments that they survive in. And a lot of that has to do with they have to be extremely intelligent. Uh, a lot of things that I have experienced firsthand whenever I was going out into the field 
a lot of uh, conversations I've had with other experienced people, uh, these things use strategy. Uh, you know, you recognize it in the field. You, they have forward thought. You know, they predict your movements. Uh, they prepare for you to be in certain areas and set up strategic positions to view you before you even get to where you're going. Uh, all of that is so far beyond the typical animal out in the woods. I mean, I don't even know why. To me, I feel like we hold ourselves back a lot of times because of the skeptical community. And I'm a skeptic, but uh, there's a difference between being skeptical and being what we call a scoptic, you know, where they're just attacking everything and prove it, prove it, prove it. Uh, I think we end up holding ourselves back. Well, we have no proof. You know, you can't prove that it's not just another ape. You can't prove that it's human. So therefore, we have to rule all these things out. Well, I, I think that's what holds us so far back by having to play that game where, well, no, I didn't see it do this, so I can't prove it. Therefore, I can't go down that path. No, you can. You can. You can let your own opinions and your own theories dictate your direction as long as you're letting the evidence lead the way. Um, yeah. And I mean, there's humans who don't want to interact with what we call modern society that exists now on the planet who are still living the way that their people have lived for thousands of years. In fact, they will shoot you with an arrow if you try to go near them. <laughs> they don't want anything to do with it. So to, to think that everyone wants to be in this one way of living, which you know, other countries would roll their eyes at anyway, but it's just such a weird egocentric view. <laughs> well, talking about the atrocities that happened on this continent in general, uh, if you were an intelligent creature and you observed these people coming here on these ships and what they were doing to the people that you had grown accustomed to living with side by side you know there's stories of native american tribes trading with these things mm -hmm. that they used to be close or at least you know willing to share the same resources and be in the same area and this thing could have sat back you know from the safety of the forest at night and watched what was happening and just no there ain't no way <laughs> we want to have anything to do with those people for our survival, we have to go hide in these remote areas where they don't go. Now, I've said a few times, and please correct me if either of you think this is wrong. I've said, in my opinion, there are parts of this continent alone that have never been really explored. Um, there's parts that people have not actually walked on yet. Um, just like, you know, we have just so much of the ocean unexplored, so much of ourselves unexplored, so many species we still haven't even identified. There's literally lands that no one is, uh, no human supposedly <laughs> is inhabiting. Am I correct in that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Right, I mean, there's, I... there's places in this state, <laughs> you know, and then you go, you know, Pacific Northwest, obviously the home of Sasquatch. 
uh, vast areas of forest, you know, uninhabited. There's a difference between actually going in and setting foot in an area and establishing it and just mapping an area or getting satellite imagery of it. Uh, it's very uh, confusing whenever you look at the map and see Alaska and then really think about its vastness in actual landmass and the fact that the vast majority of it is completely unpopulated, completely wild. Uh, this thing could be living there no problem and never coming into contact with humans. And then, quite honestly, you have lots of uh, situations and reports. My uh, own first sighting was on the outskirts of a town. I mean, you can hear the, the sound of the city right there. You know, I was standing in a parking lot, as a matter of fact. Uh, these things have no problem working around the perimeters of, you know, our environments, our homes, uh, and using uh, the environment uh, nighttime as cover uh, to remain hidden from us. So actually, I I think that's where they might end up going a little towards the stupid. <laughs> Like we yeah, talked about yeah. <laughs> how intelligent they are and we just kind of mapped out that there's a ton of places that they could go live. And yet for some reason they do seem to be, maybe it's my imagination and maybe it's just because we're building up more and more, but are they interacting with us more? Are we hearing more and more stories of them coming up into more populated areas? I've heard the story of them just coming up to a shop and standing there and putting their hands against the window and they're literally were handprints left and the, and because they're tall it was really high up <laughs> but why would they do that do you think why, what would bring them to do something that's really risky they're extremely opportunistic um i i think survival dictates that uh you know we were talking about raiding the dumpsters you know digging in the trash. That's one of the reasons a free meal. Um, I think they're extremely curious. I think some of them at least are extremely curious about us and uh, people watching, you know? And while you have some people that are very wise and intelligent and reserved, you have other people that are kind of stupid <laughs> and do dumb things. And I, I think, uh, honestly, the same holds true for them. I think they're as different and have individual personalities just like we do. And some of them probably uh, make mistakes and do stupid things that they shouldn't do. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I have a question, which is... So for somebody who's a little bit newer to this topic, so I know like in the UFO community, we've got different, I, mean, I hate to say factions, we're all one community, but you know, there's the nuts and bolts crowd and the people who are more into UFOs. And then also there's like all the different theories about what, um, like what, about what UFOs might be. So in the Bigfoot community, what are kind of like the major camps that people fall into around? I mean, I'm sure there's as many different theories as there are people, but like what are kind of the major camps that people fall into in terms of their thoughts about what Bigfoot might be? So whenever I started, the major camps were pro-kill versus no-kill. That's all it was. Um, as time has progressed, you've gone 
to the paranormal versus flesh and blood. Um, the woo, as it's commonly called in the Bigfoot world. You have people that believe they're animals. They're just an undiscovered primate. You have people that believe they're human. You have people that believe there's something entirely different, some interdimensional being that jumps through portals and uh, controls space and time and can control our own thoughts. You have people that believe they're an entirely paranormal creature. You have people that believe they're aliens. Uh, I uh, Another really big one that's gained a lot of momentum in the past several years is uh, sort of the Nephilim route uh, from the Bible. Um, I've even heard uh, quite a few people refer to them as demons. What That's about- so interesting. And it's interesting how there's parallels, so many parallels between those theories about where the ultimate source of UFOs versus kind of the ultimate source of, of Bigfoot. There's a lot of overlap. I find that really interesting. Where do you fall, Matt? Uh, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. You're doing exactly. I, God, I identify Ke- with that. <laughs> Kelly, I swear to God, his show and he is like the Bigfoot version of me. Well, I love it. I've only just started listening, but I will be listening to many more episodes. I really enjoyed the ones I listened to. Thanks. He, I appreciate it. He even has um, a meditating Bigfoot, just like I have a little meditating alien. Oh, my gosh. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I do. I also have a uh, stuffed baby Yoda from where I'm at, a Grogu. Uh, mine is wearing a Christmas sweater, uh, to be fair, but yeah, I've got one of those on my shelf behind me. Right. Uh, I just think that your method of approaching this is the same as my method. It's like everything's on the table. I'm going to still use some discretion and I'm not going to close any doors because we're not going to learn anything if we close doors. Yeah. I mean, you never know. And even... You you know, we talk about the puzzle analogy. You don't know who has a piece that you need. And even if 90% of someone's story or theory or encounter or whatever is just garbage, that 10% can be the key to unlock the next step in the journey to solve the mystery once and for all. You know, you, you never know what's going to happen. And I think one of the biggest mistakes we've made as a quote unquote research community is putting the cart before the horse this entire time. And I think we all need to just kind of like wipe everything off the table and start over from scratch and learn from our past mistakes and go about this entirely different and not shutting out people that have differing opinions or are bringing information to the table that we don't like and just putting it all there and sorting through it and seeing what we have and seeing what the actual picture is that starts to form. Okay. So this is one of those things I'm going to present to you. What if it's not mind speak? What if they just don't move their lips and they're using like some other way to vocalize and people don't realize they're actually hearing them. Hmm. That that is an interesting one, sort of a ventriloquism type thing. Right, because what if 
they don't have the same, you know, voice box. Uh, they don't. <laughs> I say that as a fact, even though I don't know it. It was actually pretty interesting. Uh, I was watching a clip from uh, Monsters and Mysteries, I think, with Peter Graves uh, just the other day. And they were talking about, uh, they were going over some audio of a potential Bigfoot recording. And they were talking about how the creature that made this vocalization would have had to have been 50% larger than an adult human, which meant that their uh, esophagus was like 25 centimeters, where an adult human is like 17 or something like that. And one of the things that we've kind of figured out on our own is that some vocalizations that we're attributing to Bigfoot that we've recorded have sort of this uh, dual tone Mm -hmm. uh thing going on where you have sort of like uh two sets of vocal cords it's a, mm -hmm. a a deeper frequency and a higher frequency resonating at the same time it, it, it's really strange um well i've heard some things about infrasound being used mm -hmm. which kind of led me down this thought process and I also, when I talk to people about non-human intelligence, which, you know, we can include Bigfoot, but mostly people are talking about aliens or ultra terrestrials when we say that, I, I always wonder, it sounds to me like they might be using technology, right? Because it's the same thing. Their mouth is not moving. Maybe they don't have vocal cords. Maybe they have to use technology to communicate. In my opinion, there is a possibility that we're hearing it, but we're not realizing it because we don't have to speak that way. Right. Um, I mean, we really don't know. Uh, just because, you know, and I, you know, everybody thinks their own theories are correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. So whenever I replay back in my head the things I've experienced and seen, and I listen to other reports, I see something that's got two eyes, a nose, ears, a mouth, teeth, fingers, toes. It looks and matches what we call a primate. It It's a mammal. It's a warm-blooded creature. I could be wrong about all of that. Uh, mm -hmm. It could be alien. It could be from another planet entirely, another universe. We don't know. Um. So I think, again, you have that whole, I hate to say it over and over, but ego comes into play. We know everything. We understand everything. And it's got to be this because that's what I think it is. And that's what I want it to be. And we're, we're so stuck on our in our paradigms, right? Yeah. So, for instance, you mentioned, you know, blood, right? So mm -hmm. there's hot-blooded and cold-blooded that's it on our planet right what if there are a, what if there's a third option or a fourth option these are the kind of thought experiments i really like people to stop and think about and you know it happened to me because i didn't read the book but heinlein had written a book about a third gender and you know on our planet when people hear that they're like oh no that's a hermaphrodite or you know that's um, you know, someone who is asexual, blah, blah, blah. But no, I mean, 
not male at all, not female at all, a completely third gender. Think about that. <laughs> Get out of our paradigm. You know, and it's really hard for people to do that. We we have to we have to catalog everything. We have to put it in its group where it belongs and it drives us crazy not to do it. It goes against everything that's ingrained in us. We can't accept and rationalize that there's something that doesn't fit in any of the boxes mm -hmm. or there's something that fits in that box and that box. We can't handle that. It has to be nice and neat, all figured out and goes right here. Uh, and, and that's kind of like where my own evolution in this thing has gone to is the thought that it doesn't have to be this or that. It could be all of them or none of them. We don't know for sure. What we do know is that people are having these experiences. They're having these encounters with something. Uh, we have to go off what they're telling us. That's right. the most important thing. Uh, what are they observing? And that's all we know. And it's one of the things that and I'm sure, Kelly, you can relate to this when we talk about experiencers, even if we never find out what it was they saw exactly, just the mere fact that so many people are saying they saw something is fascinating in and of itself. Like, what is that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think for me, I never get to caught up in the individual details of any specific case with UFOs. And this is as I'm coming to the topic of Bigfoot, how I'm also approaching that because I have no way of establishing someone else's reality and what, like what actually happened to them. Like if I wasn't there, I have no real way of, I, I can't know what someone experienced or what they didn't experience. But when you listen to enough stories from enough people, it becomes, I think of it like, you know, those magic eye books that we had when we were in school, you know, it looks like a big mess, but if you step back and you kind of like lose focus, like you let go of those paradigms for just a second and you let it be what it's going to be, shapes begin to emerge and you're, you're able to kind of see patterns and recognize things. Are those things absolute truth? Do I take those patterns to the bank and say, yes, this is what's going on? No, but like it does get us somewhere. And I feel the same way with all of these stories about Bigfoot. There's just so many, something is happening. And the only way to find out what that is, is to actually listen to the people who are having the experiences. Which is why I need to know, Matt, you got to tell us your experience. I've waited all this time. I'm like, Ooh, I want to hear yes! it. <laughs> oh, geez. Can you do it? Can you tell us? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, do you want to tell us about the haunted house first or second? It's up to you. I'm you know, so you're about you're both. the driver. You're the driver. Okay. You just tell me what to talk about. Okay, so I don't know if Kelly knows this, but I actually used to do some ghost hunting when I was younger. When I was in my yeah, 20s. In, in bathrooms or something. Yeah, well, that was a later thing. Oh, I found okay. out That's Kelly amazing. that I am actually terrified of ghosts because I think it's because they are actually, you know, humans, right? So humans are scary. I think I'm more terrified of ghosts than Bigfoot. I've already said I would babysit for, for a Bigfoot. <laughs> Although Matt said that they play with butane tanks as toys. So I'm like, I don't know if I have toys that are big enough to babysit, but whatever. <laughs> Maybe not inside your house. Right. So let's start with the ghost, Matt, and then let's go into um, the Bigfoot sightings that you've had or experiences, because I think you have more than one. So 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, I was actually, uh, raised by my great grandparents. Whenever I was born, there were five generations alive at once. And, uh, my great, great grandmother actually was still alive and living in this house. Uh, whenever I was born, she passed away whenever I was about a year and a half. Um, after she passed away, I have very early memories of hearing footsteps coming down the hallway. My bedroom is at the back of the house or was at the back of the house. And we had a long hallway that went all the way through the middle of the house. I mean, if you're at our front door, you can see straight through to the back door. And uh, at night, sometimes I would hear these footsteps coming down the hallway. And I would think that it was one of my grandparents going to the bathroom because the bathroom was right next to my bedroom. And I'd be laying in there in bed, looking straight out my door towards the bathroom. And I'd hear the footsteps getting closer and I'd hear the footsteps turn that corner to go into the bathroom and nobody would be there. And I would hear the footsteps walk on into my bedroom and I would feel somebody sit down at the end of my bed. That was the earliest, uh, event that happened to me personally that I can remember. My childhood was filled with nightly prayers all based around, please do not let me hear or see anything tonight. I was going to ask if that was scary because. Hell yes. <laughs> like It was terrifying. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand it. I remember talking to my great grandmother about it. Uh, and she said, oh, those are just guardian angels. That's how she, I don't know, explained it to me. Uh, I don't know if she was doing that for my own benefit. Um, she would say, that's just, you know, your granny looking after you. Uh, Man, sometimes I feel like angels are scapegoats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they certainly can be. So, uh, you know, as time goes on and I get older, different events happened uh other people coming to the house would see things experience things it wasn't just me um i would come to find out that other family members knew about it had experienced things before i was ever born in this house uh quite a bit of stuff has happened <laughs> i mean some pretty scary stuff has happened um one story in particular happened uh, whenever I was in high school. Uh, we were here on a weekend. My grandparents were gone. We had a lake house. They were le you know, left for the weekend, so it's just us uh, doing what teenagers do. You know, Me and my friends got some girls over. Uh, there was, I think, three or four girls here, uh, and it was just me and another guy. Our other friends hadn't arrived yet. And we ran to the store for something. I don't remember what. I think he was hungry. And whenever we got back, the girls were all standing in my front yard. One of them was crying. And they come running up to the car. And I'm like, what's going on? Why are you out here? Uh, they said that after we left, they had all been in the living room. And they decided... For whatever reason, I, maybe one of them wanted to use the bathroom or something, but they all went to the back of the house. They were going back to my room. 
and they're kind of walking in single file and as they near the end of the hallway they see a shadow figure a shadow person standing between them and the back door in the hallway and they just like freeze and it starts advancing towards them and they start screaming running the other direction and this thing chased them all the way out the front door and slammed the front door behind them your great-grandmother did not want you to see those girls well i don't think that was my great-great-grandmother <laughs> i mean maybe it was uh but there was there was something going on in this house that uh was known to be kind of violent and kind of scary and then another something in this house that wasn't ever really scary and didn't give you that that real eerie feeling of i want to get out of here mm. but yeah there there's lots of things that happened i mean i could do an entire show just telling stories about this house but like i said now that i'm older i don't know if that has anything to do with it um I have done some things in the past to kind of quiet things down. Occasionally something weird kind of happens every now and then, but for the most part, the activity isn't anywhere near what it used to be. Uh, have you ever read any Keel? No. Okay. Cause he talked about paranormal um, activity being like kind of coupled with other paranormal activity okay so mm -hmm. long before some of the more recent hypotheses were formed um and i call it the paranormal network um he noted for instance that there was an increase in ufo sightings when there was an increase in ghost activity in an area hmm. i'm just wondering if you ever did an em reading at the house i have never done anything uh, there was one point in time, uh, after my, my great grandfather passed away in 2000 and then my great grandmother passed away in 2008. And after she passed away, uh, that's whenever I ultimately got ownership of the house. Um, I thought I, I had a friend that was a paranormal investigator, um, and I got myself, a little handheld tape recorder and I'm going to try to get some EVPs. I'm going to try and talk to my great grandmother. That tape recorder sat there and collected dust. Eventually I just decided it wasn't going to happen. And that's kind of whenever I stopped really having an interest in the paranormal. Because all of a sudden, I found myself in this position of viewing it entirely different. Um, it is my belief that these are the spirits of people. And those are people. Do I want to contact my great-grandmother? Everybody thinks uh, I, I would give anything to talk to them again. Yes, but would you give anything to really talk to their spirit? Because then what does that mean? Where are they? What, what, what is happening? Is it something that you really want to put yourself through? Do you want to do something to provoke them? Uh, what disruptions are you causing by making them come through and communicate with you? Like, 
to us, we go into a haunted house or something to do an investigation. And that becomes this subject of study, but that's also somebody's loved one. Mm -hmm. And that those emotional ties, which I feel are something that can easily be used uh, to manipulate a paranormal situation. I just, I have a personal problem uh, whenever it comes to that. I, I just, I think they should be left alone. It kind of reminds me of a movie that I once saw called What Dreams May Come. Robin Williams is trying to speak to his wife um, and he gets told you're actually upsetting her quite a bit every time you do that. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's so many uh, things that we don't know that we mess with. And I'm at this point, I'm just not prepared to go down the route of trying to interact with the spirit of somebody. I think they should be left alone. I feel like when you get on the path of the paranormal, though, you end up not only studying spirits and taking a look at religion, maybe doing some comparative religion work, but then you also end up, for me personally, looking at NDEs. And it sounds like you're, you don't want to touch it, but I find some of the NDEs kind of give a glimpse as to what's going on beyond the veil but are we supposed to know that i don't know maybe we really aren't supposed to know that we're supposed to just focus on what we're doing here right so do you believe know. there's a connection between everything yes do you think I it's do. coincidence that i'm here for bigfoot but i grew up in a haunted house which ultimately led me to bigfoot I've had a UFO sighting. I've had a couple of UFO experiences. And I have found that typically whenever I talk to somebody who's experienced something in the paranormal field, they've experienced more than one thing. They've experienced multiple things. And uh, I mean, I don't really like talking about it, but I had a near-death experience. I died for seven minutes. Oh, and, wow. uh, I did experience wow. something and maybe that does have something to do with why after she passed away, I didn't want to, I didn't want to mess with it, even though I thought I did. Um, and that event changed my outlook on a lot of things. You know, it's interesting because I have had other friends actually who've had near death experiences and then ufo encounters and i do think when the veil is lifted we just become more cognizant of what's going on um and maybe you saw too much and it's uncomfortable you know they say that some people in the government know what's going on and it's really uncomfortable mm -hmm. um and scary you know a lot of people talk about uh children and their ability to sense or actually see paranormal entities uh and then as they get older they start losing that ability you know there's lots of theories on that uh, maybe whenever somebody does experience near death or death uh they kind of get a reset of sorts that 
allows them to bring up those abilities once again because they're starting over from scratch. I don't know. And if you want to get weird here, well, that's kind of a weird thing to say here. But anyway, if you want to just get a little, <laughs> oh, we can get weird. That, I was say. <laughs> you could argue that those children would have been recently not alive yeah. because and i am inclined to believe in past lives i yeah. have some memories that i shouldn't have some like a, a sensation of being drawn to a place that i have no reason to be drawn to um not in this life right um and i have some you know, I have a really severe phobia that I think is connected to that, actually. Um, and there's research on this, on past lives. So those children who are more aware of what's beyond the veil, they might just be still remembering. Yeah, closer to it. The farther away you get from something, the harder it is to see. Yeah, my brother, when he was probably like two or three, um, would be very adamant about the fact that he was uh, from China, that he lived there right before he came here, and that he and his story was that he had been four years old and that he was with his mother by a river and like the water rose quickly and they both drowned. Um, that's I why drowned I too. That is so weird. I was in China <laughs> and I drowned. I was a boy though. I was 17 and I hit my head and I think someone watched me drown. And this is why I hate seafood also, by the way, keep going. <laughs> I love this. No, not really. I had, I just, I think it's interesting that my, I don't know. It's, and he doesn't remember any of that now. Like he doesn't, it's not a memory that he has. It's all been like conveyed to him. So I just think it's interesting, but I remember when he was that age, him saying it and it being very weird. Do you know what I told my family when I was six? I haven't really said much about this, I don't think, ever in a podcast before. But I told them that I was an alien. I was not theirs. And that my family would come get me. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I said it for years, apparently. Um, I, I just questioned my sister about this recently. And she said it was really annoying you, you know, you spoke another language and like, I already knew that I remembered that, but she's like, you just kept talking about it. It was really hurtful to, you know, mom and dad. And like, <laughs> we asked you to stop. <laughs> so I just remember speaking another language, being convinced that my family was coming for me. And then I would replace that narrative over the years. Like, well, okay, so they didn't come. Maybe a prince will come and get me. Someone's going to come and get me. Someone's supposed to come and get me. I'm not supposed to be here. Um, so what's that about? Like, if you talk to mediums, they tell you that past lives are not necessarily on Earth. I mean, why does it have to necessarily even be us, you know? It could just be a connection with a grander consciousness that everybody shares together that we don't normally tap into uh, that happens randomly. It goes into that whole theory that we're all God and that God was bored. So he, he, she, it broke itself into little pieces and put those little pieces into avatars. It gets really weird, guys. Right. And now I have a credit score. <laughs> Thanks, God, for getting bored. 
<laughs> I mean, I did have a dream one time uh, where I did actually visit heaven. Uh, and in that dream, I learned that heaven was comprised of what we consider souls of humans. And that actually made up the fabric of heaven. Well, I like so that. Shintoism says there's soul in everything. Yeah. Everything. If you watch any um, Japanese anime, you still get the nuance of that because, like, rocks have souls, insects have souls, you know, there's souls for the dust has a soul, you know, everything. So I don't know. I don't know. But I, I think, you know, when we are willing to open our minds to these things, we just learn so many more things. And it's such a richer, like, to me, it's a really rich experience. And I don't think that anyone should close those doors. I mean, I kept them closed for a long time. And it was actually a uh, reflection on myself and all the things that I've experienced. Uh, you know, the, the stuff that I've mentioned during my childhood and everything where I was like, Matt, you've experienced things that you can't possibly expect anyone to believe without mm -hmm. seeing it for themselves you've experienced so many things that you have no explanation for so why whenever it comes to this particular subject you're approaching it with just a, a one frame mind you're keeping those doors shut whenever you know nothing about the subject i mean the the sighting i had which you know i'm more than happy to share was just a matter of seconds. I mean, so I'm basing my entire uh, theories and thought process on just like a moment in time. Uh, that's ridiculous. Okay, that's just how it goes with sightings, though. Like I, I saw an orb that did a thing, and I'm like, "Hi," but it wasn't that impressive. Yeah, <laughs> it was like you're an orb. You're doing the right angle turn you're going really fast you definitely let me know you were over there but you're still basically just a big blurry dot in the sky <laughs> so that's just how it goes but however that does lead me to say yes we do want to know what your experience with bigfoot was so please tell us matt yeah maybe i can tell it next time no you can oh okay <laughs> go for it so i was going out into the field with these people uh, I had met up with a group of people. It was kind of based out of Oklahoma, but they're predominantly from the South, different States and stuff. And we ended up in a, uh, a national park here in Oklahoma. And at the point in my journey, I was just completely skeptical. Do these things even exist? I hear people telling stories. I've only been really serious about this and kind of in the community for maybe a couple of years at this point. I mean, it, it was very early on. And here I am standing in a parking lot. And I'm just like, you know, okay, this is ridiculous. Why are we in a parking lot? Yes, we're in a national forest. We're surrounded by woods. I get it. But like, this is not what I signed up for. You know, I, I'm... I'm thinking like we need to go off deep into the woods, you know, uh, primitive camping type situation. And here we are. Uh, one of the guys was using a 
Gen 3 uh, night vision rifle scope, but just not attached to a rifle. Uh, we had to use what we had, you know. Uh, there was probably about, I don't know, eight people there at the time, but we were spread out far apart. Uh, he and I were probably 100 yards away from everybody else in this parking lot. Uh, the woods surrounded the parking lot. There's a, a nature center. That's what the parking lot was for. And there's woods behind it. Uh, miles and miles of woods. So he's looking through the night vision scope and he calls me over to him. He's like, hey, come here. Do you see what I'm seeing? And he hands me the scope. I put it up to my face. I can see his hand through the night vision scope. He's trying to like kind of guide me on where to look. And I'm looking and I see eye shine. I see eyes reflecting back uh, just inside the tree line. It's about from where I'm standing, kind of at an 11 o'clock angle. Uh, the night vision scope had a little bit of magnification on it. I'm not really sure how much. It wasn't a lot. So I'm guessing the distance might have been maybe 30 feet to 50 feet probably um so i'm looking at the eye shine i'm assuming that's what he's talking about i'm looking you know the my view is kind of through the outer branches of trees because this tree line is at the edge of the parking lot and they kept the the grass there next to it mowed and everything cut back so it's not real thick but the branches are starting to protrude out and these eyes are looking at me from the height of a human. Uh, they are not down low at all. So I'm trying to focus in and really just kind of see, okay, is this a deer? Uh, you know, is this an owl in the tree? What is this? And that's whenever I noticed that these eyes are attached to a face. And I specifically, I mean, face. Uh, humans are the only thing in the world that has a face. Uh, I can see the nose. I can see the brow ridge above the eyes. I can see the mouth. There's a branch going across the forehead and then leaves and stuff covering up the top of the head. And then there's another branch that cuts across the bottom of the face right below the bottom lip. So the chin is kind of, you know, uh, hidden by the leaves and everything. I can see the sides of the head. I don't see any ears or anything. Um, the nose was kind of human-like. It was more upturned than our noses. It did not have the bulbous tip like our noses have. It was set very wide, but the bridge of the nose was kind of scooped inward and was very thin. Uh, the brow ridge protruded the farthest in the middle and tapered towards the side of the head. The eyes were set what I would consider wide apart uh, compared to our own. Um, they were kind of almond-shaped. The jawline was very broad. Uh the base of the jaw looked very muscular and was actually wider than the upper part of the jaw. Uh, 
the cheekbones were extremely pronounced and very defined. Uh, the hair pattern, it kind of reminded me of the old like Lon Chaney Wolfman movies. It kind of grew backwards starting at the brow ridge. There was no bare forehead like we have or like you see in Harry of the Hendersons or any of that. Uh, the facial hair was just like a human male growing their facial hair out if they never shaved. Uh, it was on the cheeks, but it was thinner. It went kind of into a beard. Uh, there was a thin mustache, and then it was thicker below the mouth. The top lip was thin. The bottom lip was a little bit thicker, but not really as thick as like a human lip. The mouth was wide, and it looked like it had an underbite. Uh, its bottom jaw jutted out farther, uh, than like what our flat face looks like. Um, I so, looked at it. Yeah, go ahead. I have to ask, did you get from that more? Okay. And, and I hate to use this spectrum because of course, neither of these is exactly right, but did you get more like a Neanderthal vibe or gorilla vibe like or was it just somewhere completely different or in the middle it was it was somewhere completely different it didn't look anything like the pictures i had seen of bigfoot that people drew it didn't look like anything in the movies it honestly looked like a cross between some sort of ape a simian and a human it, it looked somewhere in between uh mm -hmm. I didn't think animal, but I certainly didn't see a human standing there. Um, do you, do you, okay, so I have this weird thought when you were talking about this, Matt, and this is just another theory. But what if at some point in time there was a genetic mutation among Homo homo sapiens? And as humans have done for centuries, they just took those people who had that genetic mutation and just discarded them and let them go live alone um because that's unfortunately what humans do when they don't understand something they freak out and abandon that and that's what these people are i mean that's certainly uh, a theory um that i've heard before um i've heard people uh question that you know you have uh a certain genetic disorder that causes uh, hair growth all over the body. I'm sure you've seen pictures of people like that. You know, they used to put them in freak shows, carnival attraction, sideshows, and things like that. Um, you know, there's some people that used to, well, there was a, a person in the Bigfoot world that used a certain term uh, that he had run across in his research that I'm not going to repeat because it's certainly not correct, but it referred to uh, indigenous people on this continent that did have uh, hair growth on their face and everything like that. And uh, were even considered uh, primitive and outcast to their own peoples, you know? Um, so yeah, that's a possibility. Uh, the question that it raises though is like, okay, well, this is a global phenomenon on pretty much every continent. They've got stories about something matching this description. So is it, all the same thing is it different things are there uh some i mean like just because we assume that bigfoot is responsible for all these sightings doesn't mean that it is 
I mean, one of the first thoughts after having my own sighting was, oh my God, this thing's real. And if it's real and isn't supposed to exist, but here I'm seeing it, what else is out here? What else exists that we don't know about? So maybe there's more than one thing. We need to do a whole other show on that one because I am fascinated <laughs> by the little people I've told you ever oh, yeah. since. Have you read Sapiens, Kelly? Yeah, I have. I love it. Oh, you got muted. Remuted. Oh, sorry. No, I mean it's a it's a fantastic book, absolutely. Yeah. So I've I've read the beginning long enough to hear about the Indonesian little people that they found, which they called the hobbits, right? right. And I'm like, oh my God, I've been saying this all along. What if all of these stories about fairies and gnomes and um, you know, all there's like so many terms for it, every country, all over the world, just like with Bigfoot. Um, you know, so and then to find out Bigfoot like hangs out with like little people, like gnomes and fairies, and all of those things are also seen. Sprites, that's another one. Uh, so it's just so interesting. And then there's indigenous cultures that talk about those people too, and they say that they're like hanging out in the woods or hanging out in caves. Um, I don't know. I'm so fascinated by that. And yeah, there's like so many things that we have to figure out, guys. We have a lot of work to do. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the little people like you're talking about, uh, fairies and gnomes and all that. That's one of, you know, those groups that, again, you have uh, folklore and oral history of them existing all over the world. Mm -hmm. Same way with Bigfoot. Same way with dragons. Same way mm -hmm. with... Uh, lake monsters, sea serpents, you know, there's, there's certain things, certain mythic creatures, quote unquote, that exist on every continent. So either humans made them up an extremely long time ago, whenever we were all one group of people, or these things are real and exist and are all over the world. Or it's a mixture of both stories came from reality. Like, I, I suspect dragon stories may have partly come from large lizards like Komodo dragons and partly came from finding dinosaur bones. Yeah. And so I, I do wonder about giants, though. Like, I hear people referencing finding bones. Do, do you know anything about either of you know anything about finding giant bones? I've heard stories. I um, know. I would like to know more about that. Because... I have a book about it that I did read um about like I, I forget what it's called it's about like giants in north america it's there there aren't a ton of books about it um and i think that a lot of it comes down to this sort of conspiracy with the smithsonian seems to mm -hmm. be where that goes is that is that these is that they are have been large bones discovered of humans that were anywhere like up to 10 feet tall even in North America, but that kind of each time that that happened, that the bones were kind of spirited away by the Smithsonian. So like, once again, it's one of those cases where really interesting anecdotal evidence, but unfortunately I, I haven't found anything going down the giant rabbit hole that, that looked like, you know, proof to me. Um, but I mean, maybe someone else is more aware. I, I just really read that one book. I just can't help but wonder if those giants and Bigfoot are one and the same. I really can't. <laughs> we well, well, talk 
centuries of giant stories. What what bothers me about it the most is, I mean, there's been documentation of them finding giant skeletons buried in Native American burial mounds alongside regular size skeletons. Uh, but like Kelly was saying, the story goes, you know, over and over and over that the Smithsonian comes in and confiscates them and hides them. And there's no record of them. Why would they hide it? it? If they find them, they're not saying that giants still exist by acknowledging that they found the giant skeletons. Why would they hide if giant humans once existed? It doesn't, I just don't understand the ramifications of saying like, Hey, yeah, there used to be a race of giants that existed. Why, why That's would that bother point. people so much? It's really curious, especially considering that we don't hide, you know, the other yeah. fossil records. Giant you reptiles know? are okay, but not giant mammals. Yeah. The T-Rex might be a little scarier. I mean, we have, you know, the giant sloth and things like that but i I don't know if if something starts walking around on two legs they seem to have an issue with it okay wow i know that we uh are almost at the end of our time and i feel like we just could go on and on and on we have so many things to cover um i know that kelly had a ton more questions um and what i'd like to do if possible for just a couple minutes if you can, Matt, just tell us facts about Bigfoot. Like, we don't know anything for two minutes. Go. They are covered in hair. They sometimes are larger than a human. <laughs> they sometimes are seen on two legs. They are sometimes seen on four legs. Uh, they have been known to show eye reflection at night uh, which would indicate that they have nocturnal vision to a certain extent uh, something not very common uh, in the primate world at all Um, they have teeth (laughs) Uh, I mean there's not really a whole lot we know Uh, there's a lot of things that are attributed to them that we believe they're responsible for certain uh, tree structures, limb formations, which, you know, is another field that you can talk about forever that nobody agrees on. Uh, vocalizations uh, ranging anywhere from a spoken language, uh, human languages, English, Native American language, Spanish, uh, to their own dialect that nobody recognizes. Uh, to producing infrasound and uh, weaponizing it at times. I mean, you can go in any direction with these things that you want to. The point is, they've been seen forever and are continually being spotted and encountered on a regular basis still to this day. And we're nowhere closer to figuring them out than we were from day one. And I don't know how to make them my best friend yet. I mean, I've heard peanut butter. I mean, I don't know. This is the information I've been waiting for this whole time. (laughs) I'm so excited. (laughs) I know I've heard donations of food work and that they will offer flowers back if they like you. And then they go pat your house, which is not always pleasant. I'm I'm against baiting. (laughs) I'm against the 
the gifting technique being used. Uh, I'm still of the mindset that, you know, we also gifted some things to the Native Americans. And I say we because, you know, I'm European descent. Uh, you know, milk, for instance. Milk wasn't a good gift. Uh, disease wasn't a good gift. So you don't know what you're actually doing if you're going to leave processed foods, things, you know, that you got at the supermarket, what germs or viruses you might be having that you're not even aware of that you're leaving on this food that you're leaving out for them. So if you're really gifting them because you care about them, then you probably should knock it off because you don't know what harm you're actually causing. Not to mention, there's a little thing we've learned with bears. They're called nuisance bears where they have to be put down a lot of times uh, because they become uh, somewhat dependent on these trash cans and things like that. So you certainly don't want to be responsible for causing a Bigfoot to become dependent on your gifts and then take those gifts away. It could be a uh, bad news for anyone in the area. Mm, that's really makes a lot of sense. It's like how I used to always feed birds and ducks and stuff with bread and crackers. And then till someone told me that's actually like the worst thing you can give them and it's, they like it, but it's bad for them. I was like, think about all the poor ducks I gave bread to. No, actually, no, I'm thinking just in the diet. Like if you're just eating raw things, no, there's none of the processed stuff, none of those extra chemicals that we're used yeah. to eating now that, you know, although you can taste it, if you don't eat it for a while, you can actually taste it. And there's some foods I can't eat now because I won't eat them for a while. And then I taste what's in there. So, yeah, that's that could be really bad for a system that's not used to it. Or we don't, I mean, like, there's all kinds of foods that are poisonous to animals that humans can eat just fine. Not, again, not saying they're animals, even if they're humans. You know, certain humans have peanut allergies, different food allergies. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what harm you're causing. I found out that even onions are lethal for dogs. Although I would never have given my dogs onions. But yeah, so like... I'm not saying that these are dogs. We're not talking about dogs, but yeah, that that could be really um, something to consider. If only we had some serious scientists studying an actual body to figure it out and the Smithsonian wasn't hiding it, right? Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's fun to go out and leave a jar of peanut butter and then come back and be like, oh, something messed with the jar. You know, something ate the peanut butter. It must have been Bigfoot. I have a relationship with Bigfoot now. You know, I get it. But you're you're just, you know, feeding your own wants and desires. You're not actually accomplishing anything good. Yeah, I think about the people where they have the relationship with Bigfoot and it it sounds a little bit overwhelming like it kind of takes over like they don't just hang out a little bit they move in they move their whole group in and then they're interacting with them every day there was a story i was told about a situation where a person was uh feeding these things um leaving food out for them for quite a while and this gentleman uh, ended up getting sick and going into the hospital and was in the hospital for a long time. I think he might have possibly passed away. 
uh, it was the father of somebody that w- was in our group uh, of researchers. And uh, according to him, these things got pissed off and tore up the house, broke into the house, uh, you know, knocked holes in the walls, tore the furniture up, everything, because that free handout stopped. Mm. And they didn't know what was going on and they were looking for the food. Uh, You know, Mm. you hear these stories uh, where things don't always go right, uh, you know, which are exciting for people to hear oftentimes because they, you know, action movies are exciting to watch. You know, it's the same thing They, you know, uh, a lot of people like to hear the scary stories and the stories of, you know, violence and stuff because they find them exciting. But if you stop to think for a moment, you know, Hey, if that story is really true, that's a tragedy. That's a tragic event that could have been avoided. Right. So I'm going to go a little woo with this for a second. I once meditated on what it would be like to babysit um, what in, in the UFO community is, you know, the hybrid children. And I got a very strong impression that it would actually be a really bad idea. I would like, be, oh, but I want to help because they're, you know, they're, you know, they don't have normal nurturing and all that. But then it, I got this impression that if something was both human and not human, they might have all the negative aspects of a human, like being really needy at that age and really wanting attention, plus some really scary abilities. So it's like immediate vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so. I'm glad you went that way with it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just in general, you know, these things have eluded us uh you know nobody's even able to get a clear photo of one you know there's one uh somewhat clear film and that's still debated to this day why do you think for a second they need your help mm-hmm. they don't need our help with anything they're doing just fine on their own i don't think i want to help them i just want to hang out with them right kelly help them <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there is that. I think it's the, I yeah. No, I mean, because I do, I feel that same thing. I feel that weird, overwhelming desire to commune with them in some way, which is absolutely ridiculous. I can't even camp. Like I'm not a prime candidate for a contact experience with a Bigfoot, I don't think. Um, and also, you know, I spend a lot of time listening to accounts and that sort of thing. And it's very clear to me, like I'm, I'm, I'm clear that, that that relationship probably wouldn't go the way I the way I have it in my head, but I do think that it's just maybe something more primal than that. Maybe a recognition of a kinship with them that, that makes people that makes us want to reach out and to, and to connect in some way. Like it's not that you just want to see one, right? Like the way you would want to see a tiger, you want to like commune with it. You want to understand something about it. That's how, that's how I feel. And so I, I wonder if it's not just a recognition of its ultimate sameness in some way kinship mm-hmm. yeah exactly i, think I mean I, feel- I think there's a lot of aspects of bigfoot that we as modern humans desire you know the freedom uh getting back to primal roots uh you know the connection with nature all of those things uh can be quite enticing and desirable to a lot of people i think 
I think that's where we were supposed to be. I think we totally messed up. Whoops. <laughs> I mean, I think, yes, we kept ourselves alive when we started grouping up. Absolutely. But not entirely. We also started huge wars because of it. So I think we maybe went a little too big. So popular know. opinion isn't always the right one. Yeah. I think we might need to rewrite some things and kind of fix some things and maybe work on, you know, making sure everyone has houses. I mean, that would be a start. I mean, bees figured that out. Why can't we figure it out? <laughs> like, what? like, we're so weird. This is the species that makes sure, like, we just kill each other. Like, it's terrible. So, uh, okay. So much work to be done. Um, so, Kelly, did you have any final really pressing questions that you didn't get to ask? I, I want to make sure you get a chance because I really I appreciate you coming and hosting. You've been amazing. Um, I think I, I mean, I have a million more questions, but I don't know if we're going to answer them all tonight. But, Matt, I appreciate you sharing your story so much and just your your knowledge. And I can't wait to check out more of your podcast and to learn more about this. I've told basically everyone in my life i'm like ufos are going to take up the next like two to three years i've got kind of like a body of work that i'm trying to get through but i'm like i'm about to get real into bigfoot and everybody better get ready so i'm really looking forward to uh listening to more of your podcast and thanks for all the work that you're doing putting it out there yeah absolutely i mean thanks for having an interest in uh not shutting the door on other topics i'm trying to kind of dip my toes into the ufo world a little bit i actually uh got a phone call on my bigfoot hotline on my website today from a person who had a ufo experience that i guess they listened to my show and thought that uh i was someone that they would be willing to share their experience with so i look forward to talking to them in a few days and hearing what they experienced that's so cool I hear so many stories of Bigfoot and then greys being seen by the same people. And you really just have to wonder what is going on. And do we all get to find out eventually? I hope so. In the meantime, um, Kelly, why don't you go first with letting people know how they can find you? Yeah, um, you can find really any information you want about me or where you can follow the podcast or listen to the podcast on my website, which is uforabbithole.com okay and of course if you haven't yet you could check out this lovely book i'm holding in my hand for those who are listening it is the ufo rabbit hole which talks about some really interesting discoveries that we've made um fyi one of them is the platypus oh my god that was a cryptid exactly no one believed it what a stupid animal how could it be real <laughs> okay and you know some people still don't believe it they're like no no that's crazy talk um and matt can you please let people know where they can find you yeah the easiest place to find me is bigfootcrossroads.com it's got uh past episodes it's got the links to everything the contact info all in one neat little place Matt's also sometimes on a really special show called Calling All Beings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, every once in a while, uh, <laughs> DJ tries to tag me in and have me uh, sit on. I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's so nice to be able to 
oh, I don't know, be on air with some other people for a change besides just me and the guest. Uh, not that I take anything away from the guests that I have on, but sometimes it's nice to have a little co-host with you. Right. I love having co-hosts. And thank you again, Kelly, for being my co-host today. Of course. This was wonderful. Yeah. And Matt, if you ever want to co-host with me, let me know. Because I just invite people all the time. I'm just like, come, come co-host. It's okay. Like, come on. Let's go. Let's chat. Oh, yeah. Anytime. <laughs> okay. So to everyone else who's listening, thank you so much for listening. This was Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. You can find me at Study of UAPs on LinkedIn, all the social media sites, or with the ufoconnector.com or UAP Medical Coalition. Thank you again to everyone. Take care. Keep your mind open. We got things to figure out. Bye.